0: And I want you guys to put your right hand over your heart. and let's pray together. Father, God, Lord, uh, we just continue to exalt you in this place tonight, Lord. And we just continue to place you on the throne in the heavenlies, Lord, and in the place where you you should be, Lord, for heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. And so Father, we just start this night uh, just worshiping you and praising you, Lord. And we just pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to do a deep work in our hearts, God. Oh, Lord, that you would begin to just spur forth a compassion. Father, compassion that, oh, Lord, we uh, have oppressed or compassion that we don't have, Lord. Father, we pray for your compassion to begin to just stir up inside of our hearts right now, Lord. We pray that whatever walls that we've built up, whatever walls because we've been hurt, or uh, uh, that people have uh, sinned against us, Lord. We just pray that you begin to break those walls down right now, Lord. And, Father, we just pray that your just river of compassion will begin to flow in this place, Lord, Father God, and begin to manifest, Lord, in our hearts, Lord. We just ask that, Lord, believing that we're going to receive it. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that your anointing will be upon me. I thank you that your word is living and I thank you that, oh, Lord, your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And I pray that you pierce through hearts that have been hardened tonight, Lord. Father, we just lift you up. In your son's precious name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So uh, let's all turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, and we're going to go through verses 1 to 21. And so, uh, let's do it like this. Let's have the boys read first, and then the girls read second, and we'll just go verse by verse. Sound okay? All right, let me know if you're all ready, brothers. All right. Okay, ready? One, two, three. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are work within him. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And to put he the people But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company. Amen All right So uh, tonight we're going to be, you know, looking at a really famous, famous passage Right? You guys have already probably know this story really well um, And I'm going to try my best to bring some fresh revelation Amen um, So uh, the title of my message tonight is called Move With Compassion Move With Compassion so it's 2009 already, and I have a confession to make. Um, uh, I've already struggled to keep up with my resolutions. That's my confession. Um, thank God for his grace, and thank God that I don't need to wait till 2010. We each have a new beginning each day. Amen? Amen? Nonetheless, you know, one of my resolutions that I've been successfully failing at is to be more aware of what's going on in the world today. And so I plan to accomplish this by going to CNN.com and not clicking on the entertainment tab, or not just browsing through headlines, but actually reading articles. I know, scary. And I rarely read the news. I mean, I was talking to Brian Opa the other day about it. I really don't like reading the news. And for the longest time, I used the excuse that it's just depressing. Right? It's so depressing to read the news. I mean, if you look at the headlines, everything is about destruction, war, scandal, financial breakdown. I mean, you don't really go to CNN for like a good pick me upper, right? And so I, I'm not about that. I'm a happy person and I don't want to read about these things that, you know, will make me sad. And so I've avoided it for, you know, 24 years of my life. And so, you know, I realized that, you know, I need to get over that. And I got to, you know, start figuring out what's going on in the world today. Because we should be aware. Amen? Amen. so, uh, you know, still, I'm still having trouble. I've made the resolution, but still I look at the headlines and I don't want to read about it. I mean, for example, even today, I went to CNN.com and some of the headlines were Deadly Quake Strikes Costa Rica. Madoff Accused of hoarding $300 million, under the US tab it's mom leaves tot in car, then shops. Or you have the romantic story like man divorcing wife wants kidney back. Or you have the uplifting news like topless coffee shop gets approval, yay. Maybe on the bottom corner of the webpage in like font size two you'll get cute cat saved by five year old boy yeah, that's a story uh, I totally made up right now, but that's a story I'd rather read out of everything that I just, you know, listed. That's a story I want to read. Yay, cute, cute cat saved, you know? But you don't really see stories like that. It's all really crazy things that's going on in the world, and so, you know, I have avoided it like the plague. Um, you know, headlines that we see today, I'm probably not the only one that does that, right? You know, they highlight... The daily adversities that are going on worldwide. And sometimes the feeling that I don't like feeling is the one of helplessness. And so, realistically, in order to maintain some sort of sanity, we all teach ourselves to become a little numb to the pain, you know, and the hardships that other people face around us. I mean, if we were to really truly feel or experience the deep sympathy or sorrow when rightly relating to others, it's really overwhelming. Intensely overwhelming. And so some of us might even drown in the doubt that a living God could exist in such a fallen world. And so what we do is in order to survive, we put on uh, the armor of indifference, and we hold up the shield of apathy, and we try to protect ourselves from feeling too much and we justify it all by making claims that listen. Our personal lives—I already got issues here. I have enough things to worry about. I have enough things holding me down. I have enough things that you know I need to take care of, and I can't, you know, carry on yet another burden. And so we justify ourselves. You know, this summer before coming to Korea, um, I had this amazing opportunity to go to Africa for missions. And for two weeks, I found myself in New York, outside of New York, and lost in the beauty of Uganda and Rwanda. And it was like an unforgettable experience. And when I look back, I always tell people, it's the time God romanced me. I'll explain. So four years of college, I completely rebelled against God. And after graduating, God began to woo me back to his presence and it was during that time I was training for Africa and when I was in Africa, man, God was just blowing me away. Ladies, if you're starving for romance, don't look to the brothers. You gotta go to our father. Seriously. I mean, a guy can buy you flowers, but God makes the flowers. So, you know, let's go where, you know, it originated, okay? So, here I am, I'm in Africa and I'm laying down, my first night I'm laying down on this dirt ground and I look up, and if you look up at the sky in New York City, you'll see, like, one star. And then it'll move, and you'll realize it's a plane. And then you get really sad. But in Africa, when you look up in the sky, you'll see every single star. Like, you see more than, more stars in sky. And so I'm looking up, and I'm just, like, completely blown away. And I'm just sitting there like a little kid. Wow, God, you're so amazing. And and as if he just heard me at that moment, I see my first shooting star. I told you he was romantic. (laughs) And as if that wasn't enough, two seconds later, I see another one. And so I'm sitting there just marveling, like in love, seriously, every morning, just waking up to the most amazing sunrises and I'm just like, wow, God, you are so amazing. And so, you know, during this time of going to Africa, even before, we had this, like, intense training uh, for about two months. And for Rwanda especially, we spent a lot of time researching and learning about social, religious, political uh, history of that country. And you guys know about the genocide in Rwanda. And so I watched Hotel Rwanda. You guys ever watch that movie? Yeah. And so it's kind of like the commercial version. There's, like, another one that's, like, supposed to be more... Better, but I forget the title and I didn't watch it. And so I was watching Hotel Rwanda and I remember seriously being torn apart by the film. Really. Um, I had no idea what had happened to my lack of ignorance. Again, the whole reading the newspaper, reading the news is important, right? But I had no idea. Watching the movie, it was like the first time I actually heard about what happened and I was really one, ashamed of myself for not knowing and two, I was just almost filled, broken with grief about what had happened. And so I know it kind of got a bunch of criticism about being like disnified. okay I made that up, but like, you know, like the, the main character's story wasn't necessarily true, but the events behind the story, they were true and they were extremely appalling to watch. And so I'm trying to prepare myself to go to Rwanda, and I'm watching this movie, and there's this one scene that totally stands out. And I don't know if you guys remember, but there's a guy named Paul, and there was a a white dude named Jack. And so Paul, the African, I'm just going to read their dialogue as if I'm acting. So Paul goes, you know what, I'm glad that you have shot this footage and that the world will see it. It is the only way that we have a chance that people might intervene. As Jack, he was filming everything that was going on in hopes of letting the people around the world know what was going on, you know? And Jack goes, yeah, and if no one intervenes, is it still a good thing to show? And Paul goes, well, how can they not intervene when they witness such atrocities? And Jack goes, I think if people see this footage, they'll say, oh my God, that's horrible, and then go on with eating their dinners. And so I listened to that one part, and I was like, that would so be me, you know? I'd see it on the news. I would I probably would cry because I'm a crier. And then I'd just get over it and kind of go on with my daily life. And so even though it was kind of like a, a small portion of the film, it really stood out to me. And I realized that this fallen world, it's desperately lacking in compassion. You know, as Christians, our Heavenly Father commanded us to be compassionate towards one another. And, you know, we find ourselves in the current of the world. And like everyone else, we're selfishly thinking about our own inadequacies. Meanwhile, the world is crying out for intervention. Yet we're doing nothing about it. So I hope, you know, today's message will be one where we realize that God wants to use us in order to answer the cries of his people. Amen? So let's go back to the text. Uh, we just read um, the famous text, Jesus Feeds 5,000. And so we all know this story, but usually when you hear this story, uh, you don't hear about the gruesome death of John the Baptist, Right. That part is kind of like taken out and you kind of go straight to, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it's a wonderful, delightful story. But when you read the passage before, it kind of like sheds light, you know, to what's actually happening. You know, John the Baptist gets beheaded. And amazingly, his death, it sets the stage for Jesus to respond radically different than we would. And in doing so, it displays his incredible compassion for his people. You know, by verse 13, Jesus finds out what happens, right? And he retreats to a private and solitary place by boat. And the people, they hear about this, and they walk on foot. And by the time Jesus is like rowing to the shore, there's already a huge crowd gathering, waiting for him. Can you can you imagine that? If you had lost your cousin, I mean, this is a man who spent his life preparing the way and preaching on the coming of the Messiah, and he devoted his life. He suffered because of it, and now Jesus, he finds out that he dies for it. I mean, if I were to place myself in Jesus' shoes, and Lisa, I love you, but if Lisa were to get beheaded, right? Right? And it's because of me. It's for my sake. She gets killed. And she gets killed by this crazy psycho hater woman, mother wife, you know. I mean, the last thing that I would want to do when I find out about it is having to deal with a crowd of people that want something from me. Like that, was, that would be the last thing that I want to do or face. It's not that this crowd wanted to just adore on Jesus and chill with Jesus. A lot of these people, they came because they had a need. These people were sick. These people were oppressed. These people were in bondage. And so they came to Jesus wanting to receive something. And Jesus knows this. And so here he is. He just lost someone that's so dear to him. And he's trying to go to this private place to mourn properly. And boom, a huge crowd of people waiting for him. Now, if that was me, I'd get back in the boat, and I'd row myself backwards, and go to a different shore where it was empty and out with people. And if that shore had people, I'd row myself to the middle of the lake, and I'd hang out in the boat, not going anywhere. Because I could just, you know, just picture... How much grief he must be feeling, you know? I mean, if you guys ever lost someone that's important to you, you would know at that moment, being alone is kind of like, you know, almost like a peace that you can get. You, You just, the first natural thing to do is just go by yourself. And so Jesus, he just found out about it. He just found out. And here he is, he's trying to mourn, and he does not react in the way that I just described. Instead, if we look in the Word, it says that Jesus, he sees the crowd, and then instead of getting upset or angry or frustrated, the Word says he's moved with compassion. The ESV doesn't say that. The NIV doesn't say that. But it's a New King James Version. I like that the best. So I'm going to keep repeating it. (laughs) Jesus was moved with compassion, and he healed all their sick. I love how that's phrased. Moved with compassion. You know, it describes not just a thoughtful, but a very active response. And he wasn't just thinking to himself, oh, poor people you know, he was moved with compassion. You know, compassion in the life of Jesus, it was never isolated. It was always partnered with some sort of action. Jesus felt compassion and he laid hands and the man could see. Jesus felt compassion and so he laid hands on the the lame and he was able to walk. Jesus felt compassion, etc., etc. He felt compassion and then there was action. And so this story, in the beginning, it provides this snapshot of the compassionate heart of the Father. Our God, he's a God of compassion, brothers and sisters. And he desires to transfer that heart to us, his children and his servants. The thing is, so many of us, we have become numb and our hearts have become hardened. And so through this passage, we sort of get a sober look at the condition of our heart. Jesus was moved with compassion. But what has been stopping us from doing the same? Let's look at verses 15 to 17. Uh, So small. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is not over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. You know, one thing that I want to mention is we need a change of perspective. We need a change of perspective. Because when it comes to being a follower of Christ, having the right perspective is like essential to doing his works. Let me explain. The disciples, what's so interesting is they go up to Jesus, and it sounds like they're being compassionate to this crowd. Jesus, these people, they're so hungry, you should dismiss them so they can go back to the villages and get something to eat. It, like, sounds compassionate, right? Here are the disciples thinking of these poor, hungry people. But Jesus, he's not satisfied at all with the thought of being compassionate. And instead, he challenges them, commands them to move with compassion and feed the crowd themselves. They need not go away. You feed them. And in response, the disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, what could we possibly do? We have, we don't even have enough for ourselves. And the way that they saw it, Jesus was completely crazy for asking them to feed a crowd of five thousand men and then some women and children. So we find the disciples making a natural assessment of their lack and deeming it impossible. And many times we find ourselves stuck at this point as well. Uh, we sort of assess what we have and then we stop there. The danger in that sort of perspective is that when we see things in the natural, it'll always be a hindrance to compassion. Because naturally things will seem hopeless. When we see things in the natural It will always be a hindrance to compassion because naturally, we will see things as hopeless. Compassion mixed with hopelessness, it makes for depression. Seriously. Here you are, you're compassionate, you want to do something for these people, yet you're hopeless because you don't know what you can possibly do, you realize there's nothing you can do. The next step is, that's really depressing. You know? And you just get depressed. But compassion... Mixed with faith makes for a miracle. So what are we mixing our compassion with? Hopelessness or faith? It may seem so small, but it makes the biggest of changes. So Satan, he knows this. He strategizes in killing our faith and compassion by magnifying hopelessness. He loves doing that. And he convinces us, hey, your five loaves and your two fish are absolutely nothing. What do you think you're going to do with that? And in many ways, it's true. I mean, he doesn't really have to convince us that much, you know? I mean, it's true. How can that amount really go to feed the thousands? The thing is, when you open your eyes to the spiritual realm, the truth is not truth anymore. And it becomes false. I mean, look at the way the story unfolds. So here's Jesus, and he's giving the disciples an opportunity to move with compassion. You feed them. And yet, all they can respond is, we don't have enough. So like the disciples, we too, we're so quick to close open doors of opportunities for miracles. We're so quick to close the door because we doubt what we have Um, We doubt who we are. And we're so quick to dismiss the hungry and believe that they have a better chance to be filled somewhere else. We begin to think a thought of compassion for them, but we never follow through on doing anything about it, believing that we couldn't make a difference anyway. So brothers and sisters, tonight I want to challenge you guys to take off your glasses of doubt and instead put on a prescription of faith that we would not only stop at the thought of compassion but move with it and experience signs and wonders and miracles we need a change of perspective we also need a change of perspective of how we see people sometimes it's so easy to be like that person is annoying or that person is a jerk that person is obnoxious You know, we see what's on the outside. And instead, we got to ask God, Lord, what do you see when you see that person? And just like Jesus, when he approached, you know, the shore with a crowd of people, instead of seeing the people that are needy, he saw people that were broken. He saw people that were lost. He saw people that were under oppression and bondage and that desperately needed freedom. We too, we need to change the way that we see one another. So easy to judge. Instead of compassion, we find ourselves judging. And we really need to come to before the Lord and repent and ask God to change our perspective. Show us what you see, Lord. Show us the broken person. Let's continue to verses 17 to 18. Hmm. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. The next point I want to make is we got to give it all to Jesus. Though the disciples, they respond to Jesus' challenge with a lack of perspective and faith. Rather than shaking his head in disappointment and sending the crowd home, Jesus turns to them. And he gives them the answer in a one-liner. We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he says, bring them here to me. What about our perspective can possibly change if we don't first understand that Jesus is the answer? In more ways than one, we don't have much. But what we have, the Lord is asking us to bring it to him too many times we just stop and we look at ourselves and what we don't have and we easily become filled with doubt see the turning point will always be when we turn our object of faith from ourselves from what we have and what we do to jesus christ who he is and what he's done Brothers and sisters, we have this amazing call on our lives, and the call is to move with compassion, to understand God's heart and longing for the lost. We are not only called to experience his compassion, but to move with it, to feed the crowds, to fill the needs of many, and always understanding that it's not about what we have, but it's all about what we surrender. Let's continue. 19 to 21. Then he ordered the crowds to sit and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so it's... It's So interesting, you know, Jesus didn't just take the bread and hand it out himself. Uh, what he did was he took the bread, he said a blessing, he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. There's a really beautiful divine order and symbolism that's behind this portion of the passage. Jesus blessed the bread and broke the loaves. Where do we see this same thing happen? Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26. Let me read that for you. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And so we see this parallel between the the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples moments away from him being captured and from him being crucified Jesus did exactly the same thing he took the bread he blessed it and he broke it see this broken bread according to Matthew 26:26 represents his body it's the body that was whipped, flogged, and nailed to a wooden cross for our sins. Sometimes the thing that's blocking us from compassion is our hardened hearts. So if your heart is hardened today, and you feel like you struggle with compassion towards others, you know, forget moving with compassion. You need to experience God's compassion. And experiencing God's compassion comes from being reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ, who through his compassion for us, bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, was stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, who had upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and bore the stripes in which we find healing. What we need is a fresh revelation of the cross. An act of compassion that's incomparable to anything else in this world. And so I can imagine now Jesus rowing the boat to shore and seeing the crowd huddled in excitement to be near him, hear him, touch him, and receive from him. A crowd that Jesus saw was harassed, And helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And his heart broke with compassion towards them. He knew it was for them that he would go to the cross. And just as Jesus, he handed the broken loaves to the disciples to hand to the people, he's handing us that revelation of the cross. And commanding us to live our lives with a new faith-filled perspective. Bringing all that we have to him and moving with compassion to feed his sheep, heal the sick, cast out demons, and perform signs and wonders that would overflow to the ends of the earth. So we're getting ready and we're about to go to India and the Philippines. And one of the things that we're praying for is, Lord, miracles, signs and wonders. God, we want to see your power being manifested. Hallelujah. And we're just vigorously praying, 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 praying. And God just reminded me of this passage. And it's a lesson that I learned in Cambodia, watching Pastor James minister. And he said, None of these things will happen without a fresh revelation of compassion. When we see the people in India and in the Philippines, what are we going to see? What God wants is us to see what He sees. Brokenness, bondage, oppression, sickness. And with that, understand and experience the heartbreak and the compassion and the desire that God has to bring freedom and healing and to save his people. And so my prayer tonight for all of us, including myself, is God, give us your compassion. Melt this hardened heart. May we not stop from doing these things because we don't believe that we have enough. But may we go in with faith and really see us performing miracles for your glory let's pray